Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. To where God wants to take us. These are, these are key elements that are going to help us to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. We're talking about elements of outpouring. I'm going to read the text that we started from a few weeks ago when we started down this journey, and then we'll do a little bit of review. Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7. And as we make our way through these four points, um, I think all of us are going to find ourselves uh, in one of these four areas, at least one of these four areas, maybe more, where we can grow. Because this is preaching and speaking to our future, not just where we are now. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven, Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans. Going down to the end of that chapter, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, tells us what happens after... The explanation came from the apostles, and it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so we talked about a few weeks ago the fact that we, we desire to see that kind of revival. The kind of revival where people's hearts are changed. The kind of revival where new birth, people are born again, they're filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in the name of Jesus. But it also, with that wind of revival, brings about more morality and godliness and conviction and all of the things that come along with truly being changed by God. It brings about a spiritual hunger. I used an example of fire. And there were three things needed to start a fire. Can anybody that's here tell me what they were? Jace, tell me one. Air. Air, so we need oxygen. Avi, what's another one? We need some wood. We need some wood. We need something that can burn, right? There's only one more. What is it? Spark. Spark or heat. There has to be heat. So if we have those three elements, we can start a fire. Now you remove any one of those elements... And you, you can put a fire out. 
You know that you can put a fire out with a blanket. Blankets burn, right? But if you can totally cover that fire with a blanket and it can burn up all the oxygen before the blanket catches on fire, then it won't burn and put the fire out. Because if you remove one element, then the fire doesn't exist. So what we're focusing in on in these two messages is not the fire. A lot of times we get to Acts 2 and we're so excited about the fire falling that we just get caught up in that event and we talk about the Holy Ghost and all those people speaking in tongues and all that great stuff happening and we fail to stop long enough to see what conditions existed for that to actually happen. So last week we talked about the first two and today we're going to cover the second two. Um, again, somebody help me out. What were the two that we talked about? I say last week. It was actually two weeks ago. Allie? Um, obedience and structure. So the scripture tells us when, when we first start reading, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all gathered together in Jerusalem. Well, that's what Jesus told them to do. So they were being first and foremost obedient to God. We cannot expect an outpouring of revival in our lives, in our family, in our church, in our community, or anywhere else for that matter without obedience. We can't be disobedient to God and expect Him to pour out revival in our midst. It doesn't work like that. Secondly, there was structure. And so, again, it just I try to put myself in the situation. You imagine the 120 people in the upper room and they're praying, and some are kneeling over here, and there's somebody pacing back there, and they're walking around, and they're seeking God in this highly spiritual moment. And Peter stands up and says, uh, Excuse me, everyone. Could I have your attention, please? We're going we're gonna to have a business meeting right now. Yep, you know what? Judas, he wasn't a very good disciple. He betrayed Jesus and, and uh, came to his demise. So we need to elect a replacement for Judas. It almost seems out of place, and yet we recognize from this that structure was incredibly important to God being able to pour out the gift of the Holy Ghost. We read in Acts 2 and 42 that beyond the 120, there was about 3,000 people that were born again that day, that were ushered into the church. If we read a little bit further, there's another 5,000. So there's... there's Thousands and thousands of people to disciple, to teach, to train. Eleven people can't do that. We find out by the time we get to Acts chapter 6 that twelve people can't do that. Because in between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 6, there's church problems already because there's not enough structure in place. Structure is vitally important to us being prepared for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I said this uh, two weeks ago when we started this, God is not interested in birthing spiritual babies that are going to die of neglect. They're going to die of neglect. What that means is He's not going to send us a hundred souls that, that come pouring into the doors of the church next week and fill them with the Holy Ghost and, and prompt them to be baptized in Jesus' name if we don't have the structure in place to then pull those people in and fellowship with them and teach them and help them. There has to be structure. Structure is important. 
Seven and a half minutes of review, so I think I did pretty good. Today we're going to get to the second two things that we recognize there. I'm going to point your attention back to Acts chapter number 1 and verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So for days on end, this group of people, the 120, were separated from the rest of the multitudes and they were committed to prayer and supplication, seeking after God, seeking after the thing that He promised was going to come. Their desire for the promise of God was greater than their desire to partake in the festivities of the feast. That's what we forget sometimes. All the while, while they're squirreled away in this upper room, there is a, a celebration that's taking place outside. It's, it's fair week in Jerusalem. There's a festival going on. People are happy and they're in the streets and they're having a good time and they're buying and selling things and, and they're, they're celebrating. They're all gathered together. The Bible tells us that there were devout men from every nation under heaven that had gathered. There's a big event going on. There's, there's something happening outside. And yet these people had a hunger. And that's what we find, this element of hunger that says, I, I know there's something special going on outside, but I'm, I'm more interested in the promises of God than I am with the festivities of the feast. Their desire for the promise was greater than their lack of understanding. They didn't even know what the promise was going to look like. He just said, go and wait for the promise. So they're there and they're praying and they're seeking. And all the while, this is we got to balance this out sometimes, all the while they're wrestling with doubt. Did it already happen? Did I miss it? Did we do something wrong? I, gotta, I just got to keep praying. I just got to stay focused. I'm, I'm so hungry for the promise of God. I said it was going to come. But, but, but maybe, maybe, maybe it already, I don't know. I, what's it going to look like? I, I have no idea what I'm even praying for. And their desire for the promise, their hunger to see what God said was going to happen was greater than their doubt and their lack of understanding. Their desire for the promise or their hunger for the promise of God was greater than their impatience. Day after day after day of seeking the Lord. God, you said you were going to send a promise. Here we are. We're excited about it. We're eager. We're praying. And that's like day one, part of day two. And and then, I, I don't know, I mean, what do you pray for after that? How many days in a row can you set aside for just constant, constant prayer? Day three, day four, probably around seven days they're there and they're seeking after God because their desire, their hunger for what He promised was greater than their impatience. Everything in their flesh, I, I'm just speaking from experience maybe it's just confession but everything in their flesh was saying enough he knows that you want the promise he, you've told him that like 17 billion times in the last seven days just move on 
When he's ready to pour out the promise, he'll do, it's in his timing. You, you're not going to be heard for your much speaking. You, you just got to let this alone for a little while. Every, there, there's so many excuses and rationalities for walking away from this, this time of prayer and dedication. But yet they had a hunger that superseded all of those things. For days they lingered in fellowship and in prayer. Seeking a promise of which specifics they were not even aware of. Spiritual hunger is developed and maintained in two ways. Okay? We have to, number one, choose not to be filled with carnal substitutes. And number two, choose to keep the kingdom of God as our primary goal and desire. Matthew 6 and 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hunger is natural, but appetites are developed. You can't help but get hungry. All you have to do to get hungry is not eat. Anybody here ever struggle to be hungry? No, it's, it's natural. If you go just a little while without eating, you're going to be hungry. Appetites, however, are developed. Ashley, what's your favorite thing to eat? Putting you on the spot. What's your favorite food? Takis. Yuck. Sister Magda, what's your favorite food? Potatoes. 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 Aiden, what do you like to eat? Popcorn. Popcorn? Popcorn's good. Now, why do you like popcorn? Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you know why you like popcorn? Because you ate popcorn and you liked it. That's, that's revolutionary, isn't it? it? It fulfilled you. It gave you what you needed to subside your hunger. You see, we learn to crave things that we've previously found to be fulfilling or enjoyable. You're never going to hear me. I, I, can be, I can be near death starving. Almost ready to faint, and you're not going to hear me say, "Boy, I sure want a pickle." <laughs> Gag me with a spoon. Nasty. Why? Because because I've never once in my life, but I have some a few times when I was young intentionally, and many times because people can't seem to understand no pickles. I have bitten into them, and I have never once in my life bitten into a pickle and thought, "Wow, that was so satisfying." That was so good. If I had experienced that, then I would develop an appetite for that. So the reason that you like Takis is because you, you tried Takis and you found that, wow, this brought me joy. This put substance in my belly. I enjoyed that. So then the next time you see a Taki, you crave the Takis. It's like that with spiritual matters as well. This is why mothers say, don't eat all those sweets. You're going to ruin your dinner. Because there's something substantial that, that they have for you. Something that's going to nourish you. It's going to help you. It, it, you're going to grow. You're going to be healthy. But sometimes we have developed an appetite for things that aren't going to do any of that for us. They're just going to make us feel good. They're going to give us a sugar high. 
They're going to uh, uh, jack us up on caffeine. They're, they just taste good. And, and in spiritual matters, it's the same way. God has things for us that are substantial. And they're going to make us healthy. And they're going to help us to stand strong. And they're going to help us to grow. And they're going to nourish us. But if we're not careful, we will have such an appetite for carnal things that we can fill ourselves full of entertainment and activities and this and that and the other thing that we're so full when it comes time for the promise to be poured out that we, we can't eat another bite. We can't, we don't have any room left. These people could have said, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna step out, man. I, I know that, that there's that one street vendor at the festival every year, and I, I, I'll be right back. I, I, I've been here praying for a few days. I'm just going to run down there and, and satisfy my appetite, and I'll be right back. Can you imagine? You leave to go get some whatever they had. I don't think they had many donuts or funnel cakes or whatever, but you, you run out of the upper room, and you're standing in line, and when you get back, all your friends are speaking languages that you don't understand. You'd be one of the crowd. What are they doing? What, what happened? But no, these people had a hunger that was greater than any carnal appetite. To say, I just want the promise of God. I want to see a real outpouring. It's easy to come to church and talk about wanting to see genuine revival, outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and people's lives changed and families put back together and turned around and all of the wonderful things that come along with it. But that means that there are going to have to be times in which we say no to carnal appetites so that we can seek after and develop a hunger for the things of God. Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? For they shall be filled. When we have a hunger for the things of God, not an appetite for the things of God. It's not enough to crave godly intervention as like a snack food. It's got to be the thing that we're, we're craving. We've got to have it. We've, we've got to have it to sustain us. We're going to be filled, filled with Him. And ultimately, point number four, and this is a big one, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1, right back where we started. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. What does it mean to be in one accord? We don't use that terminology, do we? Unity. Unity was present in the upper room. Unity is often addressed in church settings, but seldom connected directly to revival. We sometimes fall into the trap of treating unity as if it were spiritual extra credit. We're going to have revival, and, and then if things go well, we're going to have unity. But I don't believe we can have revival without unity. In fact, if we were to take the time to walk through historical revivals that have swept our nation and even other nations, we would find that it started with a group of people that were united for the purpose of revival. A small group of students from a Bible school, a, a small group of preachers that were circulating through camp meetings, a small group of people that were gathering together 
gather at Azusa Street. They were united to have revival. With one accord is uh, it's more than than one word of unity. I looked this up, and in the Strong's definition, it means to have one mind and with one passion. With one, there was a group of people who it could be said of them they had one passion among all of them, not diverse passions. But one, the word, and I, I'm going to butcher this like I always do. It's hamathomadon, hamathomadon, H-O-M-O-T-H-U-M-A-D-O-N, hamathomadon. It is a compound of two words, meaning to rush along and in unison. In unison. To rush along in unison. That is a powerful combination. It's a group of people who's had, who had one passion. We dumb down unity way too much. We, we just we dumb it down to, to getting along together. Getting along together. Jason Landon, can you guys come give me a hand? Just right down here. This, this is good. So here's what I want you to do. Stand there facing that way. Hold hands for a minute. Yeah, just like that. See, this is what we call unity. We, we address this as unity so we have. Look at that. They're, they're united. Okay, now, I want you guys to stay united, okay? I want, I, that means I don't want you to let go. I want you to stay united. Right? Okay. Now, the Bible uses some terms like 
together. And I'm a carpenter, so that, that kind of resonates with my mind. Something that's fitly framed together means that it, it, it fits together well. The boards, there's no gaps in them. They don't look like our window frame over there. They're, they're, they're fitly framed. They look like this one. See, this is, this is fitly framed. It's nice and tight. There's no gaps. And so, so now this is what I want you to do. Give each other a big old hug. Come on. Get close. Hug. And then it says, this is compacted. There's a, there's a term in scripture that says compacted. So I mean, really, come on. So, you've got to get the mental picture here. I wish I could somehow convey this, but, but they have one passion. And that one passion goes back to hunger that we just talked about. It's to see a true outpouring of revival. It's to see God really do something radical in, in their community and in their world as they know it. They've got one passion, and they come together with the effort to rush it along together. It would be like trying to, to push a boulder over the edge of a cliff and, and one person struggling and they can maybe barely get it and, and all of a sudden they come together in, in unison and they're rushing it along together. They're moving this idea of revival forward together. That means that, that when there's special services, they're all showing up. And when there's prayer meeting, they're all showing up. And, and when there's work days, they're all showing up. And when there's evangelism that's taking place, they're all showing up. And when there's prayer to be had, they're all showing up. And when it's church time, they're all showing up. And when there's Bible studies to be taught, they're all showing up. And they're rushing this thing along together in unison. They're working. It's not about, oh, I'm sorry. I can't be there. I've got another passion to pursue. No, no, I, I, I'm committed to moving revival forward. I'm going to be there. I'm going to push it. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to put my hand to the plow. Obedience and hunger are individual pursuits that compound when we come together. They compound when we come together. We're getting ready to come up on Thanksgiving. I don't know what it is about Thanksgiving. You're hungrier on Thanksgiving Day than you are any other day. Why? Because you're gathered together with a bunch of other people. And they've all brought a dish. Yeah. Oh, Thanksgiving's coming. They've all brought some food and the smells are there and there's an excitement. What are people talking about? They're talking about food and they're talking about eating and that hunger begins to build because people come together in unison around food. But it affects us when we get together and somebody's talking about revival over here and, and man we're excited about what God's doing over here and here's an effort that we're going to apply over over here and this is how we're trying to reach this family over here and, and, and we come together with obedience and hunger on an individual level but then we bring that into a unified atmosphere it builds and it compounds and it grows and it grows structure is organizing that which has come together 
See, all of these things fit perfectly together. It's chaos. It's absolute chaos if you fill a room full of passionate people and provide no structure. In fact, I'll go as far as to say I don't believe you can have unity in a room full of passionate people without structure. You're going to have the opposite of unity. People are going to be fighting. People are going to be bickering. People are going to be arguing about what the best way to do it and who was right and who was wrong. And they're all passionate, so you better watch out. Somebody's going to throw hands. But when you harness all of that, that hunger and that obedience and you put it into the confines of structure, now you have something that is powerful. You've got all those, that, that team of horses, if you will, pulling in the same direction. I forget, I looked it up at one time, the amount of weight that a team of, of Clydesdales can pull. And it's, it's staggering. But until they're all harnessed together and moving in the same direction, they're not nearly as effective. But when you combine all of these things and, and you put them together in unison, man, it becomes powerful. Unity is the collective decision, the collective decision to set aside personal purpose for the adoption of kingdom vision. That's a lot to swallow, so I'm going to say that again. Unity is the collective decision to set aside personal purpose for the adoption of kingdom vision. Kingdom vision. Apostolic unity enables us to rush along the purpose of God and it is an essential element of outpouring. The revival that God has for us is a revival that will come upon a united people. I'm going to close and I'm going to close like this. We have a really good church. We have a good church. We've got good people that come to this church. Sincere people that come to this church. You know how they're sincere? Because they keep coming. Insincere people don't keep coming. Sincere people say, you know what? I, I want to be a part. And, and so that desire, that, that it, it's there. But here's the area, or here's the thing. We can all grow in these four areas. The temptation... And I would even say the, the strategy of the enemy in this hour for our church is to convince us to settle for having a good church. Oh, you got such a good church. You know, the little core, they, they gather together and they're, they're there and they worship together. Man, you got a good thing going. God has something far greater than good for His people. These are four areas that we can all grow in. I fully believe that God desires to release a great outpouring of revival in our church that radically changes this region of Minnesota. Do you believe that? I don't think God's sitting up in heaven saying, you know, I really don't know if I want to give northwestern Minnesota revival. I don't know. No, I think He desires. He's, he's like, yeah. That's what I want to do. I want to reach that area. I want, to, I want to change Fergus Falls. I want to see Ottertail County come back to me. 
I want to see it spill over into, into Grant County and, and man make its way over in, into, into the edges of North Dakota and Wapaton and all that. I want to see that area have a heart for me. But I think sometimes it, it falls back to us because this is a partnership. And I don't know why God chose to do it this way. He would be far more effective by Himself. But He said, I'm going to work with you. We're going to be co-laborers together. And so if we can picture God's in heaven, and He's like, I want to start a fire. I want to start a fire in northwestern Minnesota. That's what I want to do. And so I need four elements. Just like if you were going to start a fire, you start looking around. I need some straw. I need something you know, something that's going to burn. I've got to have some some heat. I got to make sure I get enough oxygen. Up. Well, God's looking around with heaven and man, I want I want to start a fire over there. I need some obedient people. Let me see where I can find some obedience. Okay, here's here's some obedience, right? Now, if if, if this is going to burst into flames, then then there's going to have to be some structure in there. You ever try to start a fire and you just throw things down? They don't burn that well. It's amazing how well this, this parallel works. But when you begin to structure that, that wood in a certain way, all of a sudden now it's more susceptible to bursting into flames. All right, now, now I've got some structure in place. So, so what I need is, oh, I need some hunger. I just want those people, to, they're obedient to me, but, but will they begin to fast? Will they begin to pray? Will, will they begin to seek me and, and set aside some other pursuits for a season of time and, and put me first so that I can bless them with, with this great outpour? I, I really want to start a fire over there. And then finally, okay, now if I can just get them to bind together. Oh, if I could just get you. And, and all those elements come into place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven. As of a Russian mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. All the way back in Acts chapter 2. God's going. I want to start a fire. I want to start a fire in Jerusalem. And all those elements. The people began to work and cooperate with the spirit of God. And they get those elements into one place. in In a little upper room. And God pours out a fire of revival. That changes their then known world. And it started in one upper room. If we could just get these elements together, I believe God has something so great for the end time revival. Let us not forget that the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than that of the former house. What happened in Acts chapter 2 was just the beginning of the latter reign. We are poised and positioned for great, 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 great revival. I don't want to settle for having good church to the sacrifice of great revival. These are four elements that we're going to really key in on. I I feel this so strongly in my spirit. I'm going to take several weeks and we're going to begin to break them down one by one. What does it look like? What does it mean? How does it show up in my life? And we're going to spend some time on this because I, I know I've said it multiple times, but this is integral. If our church is to get where God wants us to go, these steps have to be taken. So I want you to pray with me over the weeks to come that God would speak to you, that He would speak to me in a way that resonates and and just marries together with your soul so that we can grow together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the simplicity of that Word, the illumination that You have placed on these Scriptures, the insight that You're giving us. Lord, we we partner ourselves with You as co-laborers like Your Word says. 
if these elements are what need to be present, then Lord, we want to gather. We want to pull them together. We want to see them come to fruition in our church. We want to see a regional revival that, that starts right here in this little room. If you can do it in a small upper room in an old, old, old building in Jerusalem, then God, you can do it right here in Fergus Falls and it can spill out all over our county and our region and it can affect the communities that we live in. We can see this kind of revival in our families. Give us a hunger, Lord. Let there be a, a, a sour taste in our spirits when we begin to try to fill ourselves with carnal substitutes. Let it not fulfill us like it once did. But Lord, let there be a great passion that stirs within us to, to pursue godly things in your righteousness, in your kingdom, in your pursuits, in your will. God, we seek you today, not for more blessings, but we seek you for revival. We want to see you change people's lives and, and alter their eternity. Lord, we pray it with sincere hearts. And I hope, Lord, that we pray it with willing hands so that we would do the work necessary to see these things come to pass. We love you. We ask you to continue helping us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, folks. Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live, and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.